if you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, I'm really excited to focus on a topic that I've been wanting to bring to your attention for a long time, and that is the science and spirituality behind brain waves. Knowing that you can listen to a certain beat or music and your brain will adapt to that particular frequency. I'm not going to speak in many scientific terms. I will allow our phenomenal guest, a pioneer in brainwave technology, Dr. Jill Amon Wexler, who is our guest for tonight. So let's kick off the show with Dr. Jill Amon Wexler's interview. Joining us today is Dr. Jill Amon Wexler. She's a doctor of psychology with over 45 years of pioneering brain mind research, drawing the connection between neuroscience and the connection between ancient metaphysics. She's written over 30 books. She's got a lot of fascinating topics and insights about how the brain works, how the mind works, and what the mind's connection is to the spirit and the higher self. So without further ado, please welcome to the program Ms. Jill, Dr. Jill Ammon-Wexler. Welcome to the program, Dr. Jill. Great. I'm looking forward yeah, to this. So let's go into the first thing is how does our brain work? How do our mind, how does the brain fundamentally work with spirit? Well, you have to look at what the brain is based on. The brain is a physical organ that actually generates bioelectrical currents. Now, if you look at how that is connected to the universe, you have to look at modern science like string theory which basically is saying the same thing that, that even ancient metaphysicians said, which is uh, everything is energy. And the brain, in turn, generates energy into that same system. So it's all energetic. It comes back to it's all the same thing. Okay. The connection simply is. It's basically the same thing. So what would you say to people who are out there saying, well, look, you, know, you can either have science – or you can have spirituality. You can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. What do you say to them? And how, in your experience, have you drawn the conclusion that they're one and the same? Well, you have to, you have to go way back. Um, I originally started out my education as a hardcore scientist. When I say hardcore, I, I was pre-medical. I was dedicated to science. I sort of stumbled into the metaphysical aspect of it. Uh, what happened is I joined a group of people that were studying brainwaves of meditators. And we met at Stanford years and years ago. And using simple, I guess you'd call it simple today, EEG, we discovered alpha brainwaves. So these meditators were generating massive alpha brainwaves, whereas ordinary people cannot do that on demand. So that set off a whole series of events. Uh, I turned from strictly science more toward meditation, 
from my personal experience with meditation and then uh, EEG experiments, I began to see the connection between the brain and how it is directly connected to who we are on all levels. You know, the science of it, the metaphysics of it began to all run together. Uh, when you say all levels, what levels are you referring to? You're referring to levels beyond what was in the physical body, or are you talking about all levels in terms of where we are or how our brain functions in various aspects and situations in our daily lives? Well, the, the brain obviously reaches into all aspects of, of what okay. we are, and you can break that down into brain waves, and it's very logical and understandable. You know, uh, as I've said uh, to you before, just informally, thoughts don't, aren't things that just roll around in your head and then dissipate. Although an average thought lasts only three seconds, during the time that you're thinking it, it is very real, very physical, it is energetic, and we can see it. We can see the bioelectrical energy directly viewable on an EEG device, and that's what brain waves are. But, you know, brain waves actually fall into many different categories. And those categories correlate directly to the level of experience that the individual is experiencing. From the most common, ordinary uh, thought process, like what am I gonna have for lunch, into uh, way down deep into uh, the deep brain waves that you dream, but in between there are levels that really can take you into super reality or supra reality beyond ordinary so reality. what would those brainwave patterns be those brainwave patterns are not normally achievable by ordinary people and i discovered that years ago in my research when i i began to study really sensational people in Silicon Valley. I mean, I studied some people, just awesome, brilliant people, and discovered that they all had similar brainwave patterns. Now, those brainwave patterns included some brainwave frequencies that later I found don't necessarily occur in normal people. And here's why. Now, look at life today. You have to, if you know, for example, in your L.A., what do you live on? You live on stress. You drive two hours to get to work. It's very stressful. You get to work. You have to keep your job in today's environment. They pile more on you than you can handle. You go home. You're exhausted. You collapse in front of TV and watch a horror film that further feeds your stress. Finally, you calm yourself down and try to go to bed, and you drop immediately from high beta, bang, down into delta, and you're asleep. Well, you skipped those mid-frequencies. You skipped alpha which is creative and relaxing and, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And then you also skip theta, which is where you really can achieve what the uh, master Tibetan monks achieve, which is higher states of experience, where virtually you transcend your individual problems, your individual being, and experience life on different levels. Okay, you know, it's really, different I'm sorry to interrupt, that you mentioned that theta because um, a couple of teachers who we've had and featured have talked at length saying that when you get into a theta state, they used to call it meditating on a theta metronome, that that is where they are able to basically get to an point of an altered state and begin perceiving other forms of reality, perceiving other dimensions, shall you say you well. And they say that... Um, 
saying that if you're able to be awake just before that theta, that deep delta, that's when all the action happens. So do you concur with that statement? And when have you noticed, either through personally or through studies, when a person can experience a greater sense of perception and perceive things that you wouldn't normally be perceiving to the naked eye? Well, maybe I should step through the, the brain waves a okay. little bit to build uh, a base of understanding. You know, uh, there are four, actually five basic brain waves, and they're all quite different in terms of how they relate to the reality that we're experiencing. This is not oogum boogum. This is measurable, predictable, and, and, and uh, achievable. Uh, there are very few people that can actually selectively turn on the ideal brain wave they want at any given point. That's one of the things I do teach in my programs. But normally, as I said, people spend their life in beta, which uh, and sometimes higher or lower levels of gamma, which is stressful. And then they go home and they collapse and they drop into delta. They skip alpha, they skip theta. Okay, delta, the slowest, if you think of it like a, an automobile, delta is the slowest of them. It, basically speaking, you're asleep. Okay. And, and that's where you are. You know, if you then move up to the next, you're into theta. I think of theta as sort of the voice of our higher mind. By that, I don't mean more intelligent thinking mind. I mean mind that can perceive on higher levels. Then above that is alpha, which is deeply relaxation, deeply creative. It creates the gateway between alpha and theta. And incidentally, the gateway between alpha and theta brainwaves is really, it's about 7.86, 7.89. It really is equivalent to the same, what I would call the brainwave of the Earth. Uh, That is created by the ionosphere as energy rotates back and forth. So the Earth has a regular brainwave that when we tap into, we begin to then have conscious theta, which is higher states. Yes, can I pause you there for one second? Because if there is, is there a certain audio track that is available on your site where a person can listen to that and engage in? And also, this is the second part question is, if you go on, people go on YouTube and they hear these beats, they hear um, alpha, beta, gamma, they hear all these brainwave beats. What happens to a person when they're listening to it? Does your brain kind of, what, listen to it, then latches on, and then you begin thinking like that beat if you listen to it for a long period of time? The whole purpose of brainwave training is to train your brain into a certain brainwave frequency, which if people use it properly and if it's properly engineered, um, that's, that's a whole different question, then you can learn to reproduce that brain state in your own mind. And that, uh, yes, I do have things on my website at buildmindpower.com that uh, people can use to achieve that. It is learnable. Wow. So now when you say that uh, does, it, it, does a person have to stay in an alpha or a beta state for a prolonged period of time? Are they, is it healthier that they are always switching through these various states? Like what would be the purpose of learning or training your brain to be in a certain particular state if it's 
maybe constantly shifting because you're not always going to be going 100 miles an hour and being so productive. You obviously need to sleep, and you can't always be sleeping because you need to work. So what is a consistent brainwave? Right. The advantage is yeah. this. The advantage of, is this. Okay, assuming that uh, you're talking to an ordinary person that uh, you know has responsibilities at work, obviously those can be either rote responsibilities or something, com- something comes up that they are regard- uh, supposed to think about maybe to create a solution for. You cannot create a solution in beta. That is, the, beta is the ba 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 ba. If you're going so fast, your, your, your thoughts don't last long enough to create a solution. You need to relax down into alpha and you need to know how to relax into alpha. Now, Einstein, for example, was a famous alpha thinker. You could look at him and it looked like he was nodding off almost to sleep. And he was down into alpha and probably into theta, allowing his mind to, to, to look at how to create a solution to a problem. You cannot really create a solution in beta. Okay. So, nice to know how to be able to switch Switch your focus into more relaxed, more creative brain waves. And that is not necessarily a normal thing. That is a learned thing. A learned thing. Now, you said that maybe a lot of people that are millionaires, you said, can you just recall they're saying that they are more alpha brain or they have an alpha brain wave, yet you just mentioned beta, which is a lot of very you know, fast, higher tempo. So what I'm curious to know is this, is that, People who tend to be very productive need to be going or doing things and being extremely uh, proactive with their time. So how does one be a dominant alpha brainwave pattern um, state of being while at the same time being extremely productive? Like what is the balance that they have with that? If you are locked into your beta brainwaves, you have what I call monkey mind, which means – and the higher the beta, the more you act like a monkey. Uh, basically speaking, it's very difficult to focus. If, uh, if you have mixture, like the one that I found in, in those remarkable people down there in Silicon Valley when I studied them, they have a mixture that is quite balanced. Now, normal people in today's world do not have that much alpha or that much theta. Therefore, their creativity and their ability to create creative solutions and to think into higher states is extremely limited because unless your brain will take you there, you don't get there. What would the reason be? Well, obviously, if you're solving a math problem and it's a logical math problem, you're going to use beta. But you don't want to use high beta. You want to go drop. You want to know how to control your beta so that it doesn't fly off into higher frequencies that are just stress. Basically speaking, our brain is a miraculous, wonderful machine, but it's a machine. And unless you know what gear to put it in, you get stuck in you know one or two gears. Now, and you can think of it in that way. Now, what I wanted to ask you is. You said that very few people have an alpha or have an alpha brainwave. Why is that? What is it that causes society as a whole to not have that? And do you feel that there are any points in earlier times throughout human history 
where they did have more of an alpha conscious thinking. And can you cite? Yes, and as a matter of fact, when you are a young child up to about age mm -hmm. three, you're primarily an alpha. Okay. But as you are then forced to learn and to configure and to respond to social demands, you begin to spend more and more time in beta. Anytime you are thinking, analyzing, even talking to yourself in your brain silently, you are locked into beta. Now, anytime beta is, is going like that, it pretty much is going to limit your ability to get down into the lower brain waves, which is alpha, theta, and some people can even consciously go into delta and yet remain consciousness, although they, you know, and they're not asleep. That would be, um, there are some remarkable people that can achieve right. that. So what you want is you want a balance of all of the brainwaves operational so that you can switch according to what's happening. Now, if you're walking down the street thinking in alpha and you step off a street corner and there's a bus coming, you want to go into beta fast, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then jump the heck out of the way. But But normally, as I'm saying, in our society, people are locked into beta. And beta equals stress. High beta is stress, period. Stress. Now, I, That's what it is, and it burns up your body and it burns up your mind. I can show you brain waves of people in high stress, and if we actually take a picture of what's happening in their brain, you can see cells dying. Really? So. Yes, this is real. We, hit, we live in a high-stress society that is closing people off from their creativity and their ability to achieve higher states. And it's darn stressful, and it is. So let's, let's look at something real quick. Um, in terms of the overall collective consciousness of a group of people um, throughout courses of human history, do you find that when societies become more oppressive, that we can almost be certain that the brainwaves of the collective people out there are going to be dominantly beta, and when you're dealing in a more free and open society, that you're going to have more of an alpha state across the board. Yes. I have a friend, for example, from who's from a little country called New Caledonia. She's a business partner. She's so capable of deep relaxation. In her environment down there, there is no reason to be stressed. Okay. There is not the government pressing down on you. There's not taxation. There's not the traffic. There's not the demands being put, placed on people in their work environment. Uh, really, it is. You put your finger right on it. It's the society that creates it. And our society is high beta. Okay, so let's say this way. There are many people out there that are advocating change. They're saying, well, you know, things are too tough. And, you know, we need to organize and we need to do this. We need to take measures to to maybe, you know, put things in a different direction so we can have more freedom. Do you think that maybe one of the best ways to do that or the least form of resistance or, or a very peaceful measure would be to have several people start listening to alpha brainwaves, get in an alpha state, and then from there kind of have that reality start manifesting? Yes, from an alpha? because they would be far more creative. Okay. In terms of a solution, they would be able to create a new solution. Whereas when you're in high beta, uh, basically speaking, you're in the fight or flight mode, which means that either I'm going to punch them or I'm going to run down the street, okay. which, you know, 
that that just simply is. Whereas in alpha, you can think about, well, let's see, I don't want to fight. I don't want to run down the street. Can I create a little movie that will carry my thought out to other people? You know, you get more creative. Okay. Now, let's talk about... Look at Gandhi, for example. Gandhi, look at what he did in India. Look at Gandhi, for example. I would say that he was primarily an alpha individual, and the Indian society is much more relaxed, or at least at the time was, in spite of the fact that they were fighting uh, the rule of another country. So they had, you know, obviously they could have uh, risen up and fought and fought and, and, and tried to win in that way, but instead they took another path, which was far more relaxed and far more alpha. Okay. So can we do that here in, in Western society? To do that, we're going to have to start each of us with our own brain. I mean, the brain directs our actions. It directly directs our actions. What you think creates your actions. Okay, well, like, what if somebody is particularly stressed about uh, something? Uh, they, they, they think about, you know, punching somebody, and but they don't really mean it. They're just, they're just like kind of, I don't know, venting. Is that going to draw that experience to them if they focus on it or think about it? Uh, yes. Well, if you look at the if you look at the law of attraction, that's an old, old law. It probably goes back thousands of years. Is that um, you know we do attract what we're putting out, and that's a fact. If you if someone comes down the street and they're in a very hostile mood, you can feel their energy. You know mm-hmm. that. We feel the energy of other people. And we feel the energy of our society, and then we uh, we import it into our being and and act it out. So let's say this: let's say, for example, you have people on a massive scale, or even on an individual scale, that see an event, see something that's going on, and then they decide, "Listen, I do not like this. This bothers me. I'm reacting to it because this event or uh, doesn't sit well with me, and I, I'm having an emotional reaction to it." Like I think that people react. Uh, very passionately to any time there's a cruelty to animals. I think that's one of the quickest ways to get an emotional reaction out of people. You saying that by them reacting in a very hostile way and putting out the desire, saying, listen, I would never want this to occur, that they can, in essence, potentially be drawing that experience to them even closer had they never even given it any thought? Probably so. Yeah. And interesting, we have a choice, you know, but taking that choice requires that we have a, a clarity of mind. We have a choice between reacting or responding. If you react, basically speaking, when you react to something, you are in your lower mind. You are not in your higher thinking mind. A reaction is something that occurs down in the lower brain. So we have a choice between responding or reacting. When you react, what is in control? is the lower part of your brain, your brain stem. The brain stem cannot analyze or think. It simply reacts, and it uses your limbic system, which is the emotional center of your brain, to put out energy. When you respond, that is a different part of your brain that you're using. It's a higher thinking center. So the choice between reacting and responding you have a split second there, and the reason you have a split second is this. You see something that happens. In the time that it, that it takes to get to, through your visual system to your higher brain, there is a millisecond there where first it hits your lower brain. Okay? 
if you can grab it before you just react, if you can take that millisecond and train yourself to have a brief hesitation and to look to your higher brain for a response, you can change your life. Bang, like that. Wow. And that's the truth. That's one of the things that I teach people to do uh, in the quantum mind training but program. Learn to respond and not okay, react. But let's say it this way. If, you, if you're doing this stuff, in one way you're kind of maybe, it seems like you're resisting a thought or, or a reaction to a thought. Is that one way suppressing your thought and making it even stronger? Oh, oh. Nope. You're saying, wait a second. Okay. You're considering what you just saw. You just saw someone hit a dog. Wait a second. Before you go and punch that person out, why did he hit that dog? You realize that dog was attacking him. What kind of physical manifestation can you expect for various um, states of brainwaves? And also, how quickly does the physical become manifested depending on what state of um, brain you're in. Well, actually, now that's interesting. depends on whether you're in your conscious mind and whether uh, you're ready to take a conscious act or whether it's in your unconscious mind stirring up and building. You know, we have many levels of our brain, many levels of our mind, I should say. And there's the conscious level uh, that we're all very aware of. Then there's the, the subconscious, the unconscious, that's constantly in action and and has no real analytical capability simply reacts and can build up and react then we have the superconscious which is the higher okay. self okay um, okay uh now in terms of the brain waves uh basically speaking let let's let's look at it okay uh let, let's start with let's start with creativity Let's start with alpha and what alpha is, because we know what beta is. Beta is thinking. Beta is actively thinking, and you're using that when you're speaking, when you're analyzing, when you're thinking, even when you're talking to yourself silently. So alpha production is where your brain slows down a little bit. Okay, alpha brain waves are very different. You cannot feel anxiety and stress if you drop down into alpha, you're still probably making some beta, but you're more focused in your alpha. Alpha brain waves, people that can generate these have far less anxiety, okay? And correspondingly, they also have stronger immune systems. Alpha leads directly to creativity. Alpha people who can create alpha brain waves are far more creative. And these are created mostly on uh, the left side of the brain. In order to have a creative inspiration where you get an insight, your brain needs to be able to generate a big burst of alpha on the left-hand side of your brain. Creative people do this. Normal and non-creative people do not create these bursts when they're faced with a problem. Therefore, they can't come up with a creative solution. Okay. And in terms of peak performance, for example, that's another interesting application of alpha. Sports scientists have shown that just before a person, uh, an athlete, performs something of peak performance, if they are a professional, well-trained athlete, for example, an elite basketball player, 
he's going to produce a huge burst of alpha on the left side of his brain. Same thing for golfers. Same thing for marksmen and archers. A burst of alpha on the left brain. A novice or an intermediate athlete might have a tiny little burst, but less less predictable. So alpha brain waves are essential for peak performance. So what does alpha mean? It means less stress and anxiety, and it means greater creativity. It means greater strength of your immune system, etc. Very important. Yeah, it's it's just. And then if you go down into theta, theta is a very deep brain wave that because you have to go down into a deeper aspect of yourself, most people only experience theta when they drop into sleep. You've had the experience of dropping to sleep. When you drop through to sleep, you drop down through your alpha. I mean, I'm sorry, down through your theta and bang, you're in delta and and you're dreaming or you're having dreamless sleep. Theta, you have to learn to hold theta. People that can hold theta are deeply creative, deep thinkers, people like Einstein, people that can delve to the very core of a question and allow the answer to come up through theta, up into alpha, and up into lower beta, where they can actually express it and develop it consciously and and creatively. So delta, on the other hand, delta is the lowest, and basically speaking, you are in sleep. However, intuitives, people that are deeply intuitive, oftentimes are able to have conscious delta. And for example, the people that I studied years ago in Silicon Valley frequently had good development of delta, good development of theta, strong alpha, and controlled beta, lower beta. And this was consistent across a wide range of different people, athletes, dancers, high-ranking business people, even a judge. So this is trainable. This is achievable and learnable. It's not something that is normal in our society anymore, unfortunately. Uh, what about people who are psychic? Do you find that there's a certain particular brainwave pattern that they're able to access that allows them to have the Definitely. Very definitely. People that are psychic are uh, have very well-developed, active delta on a conscious level okay. or in a state that although they can they can perhaps speak what they're experiencing, they may not be quote unquote fully awake, but actually their body, uh, their voice, et cetera, is transmitting that knowledge. Well, it's a, yes, that's. Do you think that when the psychic when they were, they were able to read into it that they, they basically they're adults, but they're they're able to communicate as if somebody who may be given the impression that they're in a beta or even an alpha. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Fascinating. Isn't it? That's. It is truly fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> Dr. Joe. You know, there, there's so much we want to get to, and I, I know we have a limited time. So um, I want to ask you this: You have a really great point that you brought up about uh, quantum science is now clear evidence that uh, conscious thoughts actually cause events outside of us. So, um, in a simplistic type of manner, how would, how does that necessarily happen? Is it we think about something and we pull that experience to us? Is that just, is that what the law of attraction is? 
Well, the law of attraction, uh, a lot of people think it's oogum boogum. If you look at The Secret, that book, I think the book did a great thing in that it brought it to people's consciousness. But it didn't fully uh, appreciate or, or explain exactly how this works. Basically speaking, you can talk in this terms in terms of brain science because here's how it goes. When you have a thought, that thought actually re- is energy and radiates out into the energetic portion of the universe. The universe, basically string scientists and higher quantum uh, physicists are telling us, it's all energy. So the truth is, you are putting energy into an energetic universe. Okay. Now, the, the way that that works in the brain is this. The brain collects thoughts on neural networks. So suppose you tend to think, maybe you uh, had a good upbringing and you think of yourself as very bright. A lot of people didn't have this benefit, but suppose you do then you have long created networks that say to you, I'm very bright, I'm very bright, I'm very bright. So that is an assumption that becomes a belief that will attract that things related to that to you. Opportunities for a bright person. Insights for a bright person. Uh, relationships for a bright person because you have that thought embedded in your brain on physical neural networks. So if you were told as a child that you're hopeless, you're never going to learn. Einstein was initially taught this when he was a young boy. He was very dyslexic. What can you do? Suppose you were taught that and you have that belief embedded into your brain. What do you do? In terms of the law of attraction, to attract things that would be attracted to a bright person you're going to have to recondition yourself. You're going to have to override those old neural networks. We're talking physical neural networks and create new networks that say, I am bright, I am bright, I am bright, I am bright. And I manifest as a bright person. I have the opportunities of a bright person. I am a bright person. This, you can recondition yourself but it has to occur on the brain level. The law of attraction will bring to you what you think. Okay. And if you think, so you spend five minutes a day saying, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. What happens the rest of the time of the day? I know darn good and well I'm not rich. I'm in the poorhouse now. So what do you think is going to win over in terms of law of attraction? Guess what? Guess what? I'm in the poorhouse now. This is going to win over. Okay. You have you have to continuously recondition your brain, and that is what the law of attraction people don't get. They think it's an oogum boogum concept that you spend five minutes a day thinking this positive thought, and it's going to come to you. No, you have to go to work on your brain. Right. I need to ask you that um, about this on a massive scale because uh, there's sometimes where people have a world and they think things are one way and they're conditioning themselves saying I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful and then that, that bubble pops when the one person who's like no, you, you actually you're quite an idiot and I'm bringing this to your attention because I think that we may be headed to a point in society's culture where we, we have a big pop in terms of everyone will realize that reality the way we knew it is not the way it always was. 
Uh, I think it's called cognitive dissonance. What is the principle of that in terms of its relationship to the law of attraction? Because we seem to be at a point right now where we have a lot of people who are living a life of delusion or not seeing reality the way it could be. I mean, you think about uh, the way people relate to the environment or the way they relate to each other. And they're thinking that, you know, everything's fine, everything's wonderful, especially people that may be on any kind of medications. They're like, no, everything's wonderful, everything's fine. Or the same way an alcoholic who drinks uh, on a regular basis, everything's wonderful, everything's fine. And meanwhile, you know, their house is burning down. What is that uh, relationship between that kind of thinking and the law of attraction? Why does the bubble always eventually burst? Bubble will burst because you will ultimately attract to yourself your, your predominant way of thinking. They might be off in, in ding-dong land where they're thinking everything is fine. Well, uh, actually, uh, it's collapsing around them. Rome is collapsing. Well, sooner or later, they're going to wake up one day and find their home has been repossessed. Yes, the bubble has burst. Uh, that is not, uh, that's not the same thing as the law of attraction. That's people living off in a make-believe world that they've created for themselves. What are their subconscious minds saying? Do they see uh, the fact that the value of the dollar is dropping? Do they see the failure of banks? Do they see the increased government control? Or are they choosing not to see reality and just living in their make-believe world? Yeah, I, I just I ask you that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up specifically those points because, I mean, there are people who are so convicted, have such conviction that everything's fine. And the people who have conviction everything's fine could even have a greater, more passionate conviction that people are saying, well, maybe everything's not okay. So I, I, I do question this, that how, what is the difference between those who, what, I'm sorry, Mike, because I'm in beta zone right now. Um, what is the difference between that bubble bursting for people who have more conviction or that bubble bursting for people who have less conviction, who have less of a uh, conviction that it's happening? I mean, why would the bubble burst for some person and not burst for another, regardless of how much conviction they have? I'm sorry. I bet you everybody's bubble is going to burst sooner or later. The question is, you know, what what is your belief system when your bubble bursts? Got it. What do you what do you have? What's what's there? Okay. You know, the people that think everything is fine. What is the what is their core belief? Okay. What is the core belief they're going to fall back on? All right, so I guess it's it's part of it. Now, you know, one thing we we really want I really want to get into with you is your discussion about the the maybe the science or the um, a person's connection with their higher self. I love uh, you know you've discussed this and talked about it. What is a higher self of a person, and how does that play an important role in a person's daily life? Well, actually, I don't think we're ever separate from our higher self, but that's a personal belief, and also it's a it's a belief that's in, it's becoming increasingly common, I think, among a lot of modern scientists, the string theory uh, uh, theorists, etc., and a lot of the neurologists are finding evidence that we know things beyond what we should know. Bruce Lipstein, for example, Genie in Your Genes talks about that. A lot of the uh, uh, futurists are talking about it, Michio Kaku, about the fact, and, and think about the divine matrix, the fact that we are in touch with more than we have learned or more than we have experienced. Where does that come from? Actually, the truth is, in my mind, 
that we know this because we have a howling. We are connected, if you look at string theory, to all of the verse directly. Can okay, and, and that is, that is that's why meditation, that's why good brainwave entrainment, that's why we do these things to get into the brainwaves that allow us to access the, our deeper nature and our connection to the universe. And now, what brainwave can a person be focusing on for a prolonged period of time that would allow them to have access to their higher self? And how do they know they're in contact with their higher self as opposed to just the ramblings or the um, their brain talking? To them? Well, there's an interesting thing that happens when you contact your higher self, and it is actual a brain phenomenon, and it feels almost as though a light bulb has turned on in your brain. You may feel your entire cortex begin to vibrate, and uh, hence, insights come that you can't explain where they came from, and this is, it's a higher state's experience. It's, it's one that you hope will come two or three or four times in your lifetime. You know, you simply know what is. You know I am. You know your connection to the universe. You know that all is one, and it's, it's an experience that, is, uh, that affects your entire brain. There's that, that radiant glow, like a bite bulb went off, and your entire cortex vibrates. Now, and can that be created? It can be created in the strangest circumstances. I once had that, well, just simply watching a sunset while meditating. People can have it while walking down the street. They see something, and bang, all of a sudden, it happens. We all have the capability of tapping into the higher self. We are our higher self. It's just that we're not in touch with it. Your higher self might not know to get out of way of a bus that's coming down the street. Uh, now, <laughs> now, what about... Um, your higher self thinks it can float right through the bus. It thinks it's fine. How, do you, how would you say uh, lure a conversation with the higher self? Because, you know, is everyone's higher self different? Like, does, it, does, does everyone's higher self get provoked, get provoked into engaging in a dialogue with their uh, quote-unquote physical selves? How like what are some of the main the best ways to kind of lure higher self higher self transcends the needs of the, of the physical self. It is a higher self. It is uh, I guess you would say it's our connection to the matrix of life. Okay. It's where we're plugged in. Got it. Now it's where we're plugged into the network, the net, the web that connects all of life, and and that web is consciousness. Pure consciousness, and when your node on that web flashes, you see that you are connected to all of that, that you are all of that directly. And Dr. Joe, I was wondering if you could please tell our audience a little bit about um, your courses that you have, and what are some of the benefits? What can people expect if they begin to, like, say, for example, do your 11 part empower your dreams training program? What are they going right. to be doing? And what are some of the, the long-term benefits the, of it? it? The Empower Your Dreams training program is, is basically it's a little free training program that uh, introduces people to tapping into more of their capabilities, to getting into more of who they are. Uh, we have various training programs. We have uh, audio programs, audio books. We have Kindle books. Very, we keep them very inexpensive, three, four-dollar books that help you trigger a greater understanding of who you are and what your capabilities are. 
However, the quantum mind training course really is based on what I started over four years ago with those people in Silicon Valley. And it takes you through three months of training, which is audio, visual, brainwave training, the full spectrum, to put you directly in touch with your higher self and, and to be able to communicate with it directly and to experience it. So that's the quantum mind training program. Actually, all of the offerings that we have currently are described at our website, which is buildmindpower.com. Yes, and I would like to bring to the listeners' attention that I have gone to it, and I have to say that it is very fascinating. And on that website, you're not only going to find information about the course, you're going to find some great insights about the, uh, the various books that Dr. Jill has written. You're going to find a lot of articles. It is a really comprehensive uh, website that uh, it's just not self-promoted. It's There's so much knowledge and information there, and I highly implore you to check it out and really start learning more about what Jill is uh, talking about. I feel that she's really been a, a window into uh, a huge world that we should all be going into and diving into, actually, because you know, if you can operate your brain, your brain's running good. All those things that we want to manifest, maybe it's not the beliefs that we pick and choose, but it's basically how to incorporate that. It's it's running your machine. It's like using your computer. Uh, Dr. Jill you know, can basically help us get that computer going faster so we can process more, so we can manifest more, so we can all stay home and drink beer and work maybe, what, two days a week? Isn't that what everyone wants to do? Maybe drink apple juice. Apple juice. <laughs> oh, you know what? Um, speaking of that, let's. Uh, we were supposed to come back to this one part. What? Let's talk about um, things that have an impact on the brain and your ability to manifest. So what I'll do is that I will bring up something, and when I bring it up, I'd like to know if you can please tell us, one, what state does that put your brain into you know alpha delta. okay second how what impact does that have on your ability to manifest things and three what is the likelihood of that drawing to you a positive or a negative experience if you are let's say for example a level head level-headed or emotionally stable person okay let's try it all right here we go first one is marijuana Marijuana, okay, marijuana actually uh, is a deep relaxant. It's going to take you into alpha. And uh, what can you do from there? Well, for sure you can relax. Will you manifest? I doubt very much that it's going to encourage manifestation because of the, uh, the type of relaxation you're going into, which is an artificial. It's been created by an artificial uh, actually device or a drug and any drug that in, puts you into a relaxation state is a drugged state so will you manifest anything well you will manifest a deeply relaxed state and probably a desire for food but will be the outcome. <laughs> wait, but it's funny you said the alpha though so if people are you said it's very difficult for people to get an alpha so if more people are, are puffing away Aren't they going into the state that's very difficult to achieve? Isn't could it be a well, yes? They're going into alpha, but they're not training their brain to do it on its own. Okay, so they're training their brain that it depends on marijuana to do it, and basically that's the same thing that uh, three bottles of beer would do. Uh, you know, it would it make you deeply relaxed, uh, it, but it has other effects, and it's not training your brain. You want to train it. You want to be in control of it so that you can say, this is what I want. 
Got it. Rather than this is what I'm going to take to create what I want. Well, what about watching a film that is very fear-based, like one of those horror films where people just kind of freak well, out? Well, those films generate exactly what you're watching, which means you're going to go into fearful states, and you're going to train your brain to feel fear. Okay. So you would just say that you know the horror films are, you know maybe are, are bad for your brain. Do you think they, in one way do they maybe prepare you? Certainly for not. Yeah, they're certainly not good for you. Uh, basically speaking, it is going to, you know, when you stop and think about what your brain is doing, your brain is creating networks. So the more horror films you you, you see, the stronger your horror networks, and you're going to see that in your own life. What about foods that are high in sugar? Okay, sugar is going to feed high beta. Uh, same thing that a lot of caffeine will feed. If you need beta, if you're going to stay up all night, you're going to study, you need beta brainwaves. But uh, if you feed too much of it, uh, you need a certain amount of that alpha to be able to remember your materials. So the more you take, the less you're likely to remember. Okay. And what about if somebody is going to a religious service? What impact is that generally having on a person's brain? Um, let's yeah, any number of them. Right. It depends on their belief system. Okay. Uh, you know, belief, as we said, is something that's basically embedded in your brain on, on neural networks. So if if a person has a deep belief in, uh, in mystical occurrences and that they will occur during a church experience, then they will generate according to their beliefs. So it depends on what they believe. That's what they will experience. And the same thing is true, you know, of, of most anything. If you go to a party and you believe that you're going to have a wonderful time, the chances are increased that you will, as opposed to if you believe that you're going to have a terrible time and you shouldn't even go, guess what's going to happen? Your beliefs create your reality. Your beliefs physically sit on neural networks in your brain, they aren't just made up. They're there. Uh, and Dr. Joe, we have time for two more questions. And um, first off, I want to thank you. I mean, you've been you've exceptional. I know we're supposed to do our interview for about a half hour. We're almost going to the hour. I just find you, your, your body of work is just so amazing. So first off, thank you. Thank you for being on for so long. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask, when somebody wakes up in the morning, let's say, for example, what our listeners out there right now say, you know what, okay, tomorrow I'm changing stuff. I, I'm, I'm cleaning the house. I want to start living life better. I want to start manifesting more. I want to start having a greater peace of mind. What can they do? Can they wake up in the morning and start listening to an alpha um, brainwave? And, um, you know, what is a way for them to start the day off, let's say, in a, in a very strong position of power, being one with their brain or optimized? Uh Waking up time is very important. Um, you have a few, uh, a couple, couple minutes there. A lot of people wake up into alpha, as opposed to waking up into beta. Um, I would say that you want to program yourself before you sleep to wake up in a certain state of mind, um, so that you say, uh, begin to program yourself to say, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to feel great and know exactly what I'm going to do in the day. Um, you might find it helpful to plan that the night before. Okay. And also, during the day, if you take moments, 
one of the things I teach my people to do is three-minute alpha breaks. You know, take a three-minute alpha break several times during the day can change your life. I have a professional golfer that did it, and he learned to be able to to walk onto a course, take a hold of his club, just take a three-minute break, totally changed his score. Interesting. Really? And um, mm, also very interesting. So people- As you begin to take charge of your brain, your entire life changes. Wow. That's really fascinating. And, you know, it's really great about this, uh, Dr. Joe, that you've been able to one, talk about, you know, running your brain at an optimal level, also incorporating and bringing in your higher self. So, um, Dr. Joe, it was a real pleasure. Um, can't thank you so much enough to, for being on today's show. And to learn more about Dr. Jill and all the work that she does, I'd like you to go to her website at buildmindpower.com. And Dr. Jill, do you do one-on-one consulting as well? Can people contact you? And do you, do you work with CEOs and other heads of companies so they can contact you? Actually, I have in the past. I can uh, still work with CEOs, and I, they find it very useful. I was uh, asked years ago uh, by Jimmy Carter to work with his uh, special group. He had a special commission on um, women in business, women, successful women. And, yes, I do enjoy working with entrepreneurs. have done so through the years. All right, Dr. Jill, thank you so much. It was a really great interview, and I really appreciate you having you on today. It was fun. Thank you very much. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Any Truth radio show. Special thanks to Dr. Jill Allen Lexler for a great interview. So happy we got a chance to talk to her and do this. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Any Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet again, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and beers. Have an unbelievable rest of the week. Talk to you again soon.